0: Welcome. Talk <coughs> live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host Hal Shirtliff. Camp Constitution Radio is heard on WBCQ, the Planet Shortwave, every Monday night at 7:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, coming out of the beautiful uh, Monticello, Maine, up in Arista County. And before we uh, interview, uh, bring on our guest, just like to talk a little bit about what Camp Constitution uh, has to offer. Uh, among uh, In addition to this radio show, which is uh, heard here Monday, and we also hope to get a few more outlets uh, for this show. Uh, it's also available on the Camp Constitution YouTube channel as we able to upload them. Uh, we run a uh, family camp, a week-long, actually a week-and-a-day-long family camp In uh, Ringe, New Hampshire, which is in the southwest corner of the state, this year's camp runs from July 12th to the 19th, and for more information, you can visit our website, campconstitution.net. Also, we have an an online bookstore with some of the uh, unique things that we have published as well as some important reprints. And uh, um, we have a sorry, great lineup of instructors at this year's camp, including Tom DeWeese of American Policy Center. This is Chris Ann Hall, constitutional attorney, and uh, the gentleman that's on on the line here, uh, Mr. Earl Wallace. Uh, Earl Wallace is has been an instructor, I think, for the last four or five years at Camp. A very popular, very talented guy. And not only is he uh, does a great job uh, instructing in several a number of classes, but he's he's a talented uh, guitar player and musician. He's the author of the Three Dimensional Leader: Negotiating Admission Resources and Content. Good evening, uh,
1: Earl. Good evening,
0: Hal. How are you? Good. Well, I know you've been away a lot. You've been in the Middle East. I saw a picture of you. Uh, I think it was on your Facebook page of you sitting down with some uh, folks and was a guitar or one of the. Uh, one of the countries on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. It was Dubai, actually. Dubai, wow, that's uh, that's quite impressive. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about, about uh, the book. And I read this book. You gave it to me a few years ago. And there are so many leadership-type books out there. And, you know, a lot of times people read them because they have to, or they read them and they, they put them down. And, uh, and I think I saw a statistic where uh, how much money is spent on these types of books and only a fraction, a small fraction of the people uh, that read these things actually uh, employ or use any of the uh, information. But tell us about first of all, let's tell us what motivated you to write this book and uh, the success you're having with uh, this, um, I would call it a ministry, more than uh, a profession, but it's a ministry.
1: Well, it's sort of a tent-making ministry, because I actually do uh, provide workshops, uh, seminars, weekend retreats to churches which was, which originally was my focus for the book. However, the book, as it turned out and evolved over several years before I actually published it, it became a business book because um, when I was a high school English teacher, I saw my class as a, um, as a team. And um, we worked, I taught them how to work together as a team. I'd been in the military and I had some military training and I'd been a drill instructor in the military and I focused on, uh, I was focused on how do you get large groups of people to um, buy into a common mission and achieve something together. So my classes, um, I taught English for two years, and the first year we had 92-point-something, 4%, I think it was, of my students passed the Regents exam. And, and this is in year, New York State. This is New York yep, State, you say? Yep. That was in Saratoga Springs Senior High School. And the second year we had, I think, 946 so it was like 95 now in my school and the statewide averages as well were about 50 percent passage rate and so uh, one would think that with those types of that type of success that um my department head would have embraced me but she really didn't she said that they were in the habit of giving uh uh, education majors tenure they're not in the habit of giving writers tenure so i kind of saw the writing on the wall there and um, A couple of years before I began teaching high school English while I was uh, in college, a female veteran walked up to me after a church service with her little prayer group, and she said, I know you think I'm crazy, but God told us at our Wednesday night prayer meeting, Mr. Earl Wallace, that you are going to handle my case with the VA. Well, I get this overwhelming sense to go do something else while I am teaching Mm -hmm. high school English. I take a state exam, and I end up at the State Division of Veterans Affairs. That lady... Uh, calls a couple of months after I got the job, I think about four months after I was on the job, looking for an older man who was training me. And he said, you know, she calls a couple times a year. Her case is going to go, it goes back to the 50s. No one's ever going to straighten it out. Just don't even get involved in it. But she kept calling and I felt guilty that we were blowing this lady off. So I uh, just talked to her a little bit and we discovered who we each were. And she said, didn't I tell you, God said, you're going to handle this. And I tried to convince her, look, I don't know what I'm doing, but she insisted and came down with her one of her friends who was at, at, uh, at church that Sunday, who had stood with her and told me, God told you, you're going to do this. And that was about seven years from the date that they spoke to me the first time, or some people would say the date of that first prophecy. And uh, we filed a case and it wound its way through the VA system. And seven years later, uh, she won the largest retroactive settlement from the Veterans Administration in New York State history may have been the largest case in the nation's history, but I don't really have any way to to, to verify that. Uh-huh. But some people told me it was. And uh, she got a, her first check, uh, went retroactive. She got it in 90, 1994, I think in the fall of 1994. And it went back to
0: 1954.
1: So oh, my goodness. 40 years of benefits. Wow. Uh, and ongoing entitlements. But in, in the meantime, my office was um, outperforming uh, m- most, if not all the offices, Over a four-year period of time, I think uh, three years, we outperformed all the other offices in New York State Um, in terms of the number of claims we filed, the number of claims we won. I call them exotic cases, the number of exotic cases we won. In the meantime, um, my secretary, of course, I was getting overwhelmed with paperwork. I was having calls. People were calling me from Georgia. My American Legion uh, county chair went on vacation to Georgia one day, and he called me at my home on a Saturday morning. And he insisted I talk to a woman there, his friend's mother, who was a widow and having trouble with her VA case. And it just got to be too much. And so um, my secretary was a very gifted, talented person. And um, I discovered that she had some hidden talents. And if you go to my website, uh, www.threedimensionalleader.com or 3dmrc.com, um, you will see um, a blog called Secretary Supersedes the Status Quo. And it tells the story of how my secretary um, solved some challenges in my office, and I convinced her to take those responsibilities on, though they were out of job title for her. And um, uh, about a year or two later, the state did a productivity study, wondering how my office was accomplishing so much, and they discovered that I'm using my secretary in a different way. To make a long story short, we were able to develop a job title based upon how my secretary worked. And to this day, at the State Division of Veterans Affairs in New York State, there are seven to nine people who are called um, program aides. And my secretary and I invented that job title. And uh, so we we, do, we were doing a number of things that were innovative, cutting edge. And I, and I began um, documenting uh, how we were accomplishing these things. And also I got to do, I got to organize a, a couple of statewide training programs for the agency. And so it forced me to sit down and understand how we were accomplishing what we were accomplishing how was i training my secretary to train other people who would come into our office to work and um then i took over i I started praying i said god i you know these things are really working these concepts i would like to um, try them over a larger organization and i was able to take over a statewide organization and uh, that had not really done what it was supposed to do in probably 15 20 years I say 35 years, which is probably more accurate, because they were playing around with numbers a lot, mm-hmm. trying to, you know, uh, trying to make excuses why the performance wasn't the way it should be. But I believe that if you, um, the, my book talks about the three-dimensional leader says that people provide potential. And if you train them right and get them to think appropriately, and we taught them some, some concepts and how to get along better with each other in their offices, and we strengthened those office teams. And, um, within six months, we hit our performance standards for the first time uh in in memorable history at least in five years and then um by my fifth quarter there, we were exceeding our standards in every customer segment category by between six and twenty four percent
0: Wow. so now I wrote
1: this book and I'm sorry, go ahead uh I was
0: gonna mention that you use uh, old testament um people. To uh, for your three dimensions, the, first, the one-dimensional leader, the two. So, can you discuss that? I thought that was very fascinating, how uh, certain P, uh, Old Testament um, people and how you use them as uh, the. Oh, so go ahead, just go ahead and roll with it. You know, explain uh, how, how you did that.
1: Well, you are correct. I do use uh, Old Testament judges primarily as the models for the types of leadership in my book. How that evolved? It's going to sound very religious here, but. I was uh supervising uh for the State Division of Veterans We don't we, we don't sports.
0: mind we don't mind sounding too r- religious on this show.
1: That's good. <laughs> I just we, 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 we uh, co-mingle at Camp Constitution. Because you know how Christianity is is, is my Christi Christianity is a religion. Christianity right. is a culture. And right, I live exactly. my culture no matter where I am. I live my culture in Dubai. So uh now I was at uh, one point I began supervising, oh, 11, 14 offices uh, between Hudson, New York and Messina, New York. And as I was traveling around to all those small towns, I began seeing churches closed. And I said, God, why are churches closing? And um, that went on for about, um, I'd say, 11 months. And one day I was going through a small town. I was quite alarmed because I saw a Baptist church had closed up and there was um, a Hindi temple or something in its place and i said god what is going on with your churches and the lord had been saying to me off and on it's leadership or it's leadership the leadership is, 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 you know our challenges um as christians is to be like what second chronicles calls the men of issachar the men of issachar were about the were the smallest number of of a uh, group of people that gathered under king david and they were uh, the bible says the men of issachar um were, were wise. They knew the times, and they knew what Israel should do. And so I was thinking about that and praying about, you know. And the Lord says leadership. So one day I said, to the Lord, you keep saying leadership. What do you mean? And He said, go home and read the book of Judges, and I will begin to show you what I'm talking about. And so in in the book of Judges, I noticed that there are leaders like Samson, who have a they have a lot of personal gifts, but they're all they're focused on themselves. They're one dimensional leaders. One-dimensional leadership is all about me, not the mission. And Samson has all these incredible gifts that God gave him. the Holy Spirit says that Samson was a judge, but there's nothing in Samson's behavior or character or his verbiage, anything coming out of his mouth, nothing in his frame of reference that lets us know that he knows what he's supposed to be doing with those gifts. He just uses them to chase girls. Hmm. So, uh, and uh, then there are other leaders in in the book of James. And by the way, there are a lot of pastors uh, in churches
0: that do similar things, um, and I've been I've been involved. I was involved in one some years ago. What that was a real shame because it was growing and making an impact in the community, and then bingo, a, a sex scandal broke out and really caused trouble. And that happens all the time.
1: Uh, it's unfortunate. And a lot yeah. of these churches
0: have enablers. There are people, elders around the pastor that sort of well, we kind of look the other way and enable people uh, to do what they do. And that's a big... There are a lot of people, uh, like Nathan the prophet, that went to David and said, uh, you know, somebody, uh, somebody had taken... Uh, one person had one sheep, and this big a sheep owner took that one sheep from the person who had many, and King David said, who is that? I want to bring him here, so I'll punish him. And he said, it is you, my king. You know, so there are there a lot of people that have the courage to confront this um, and not only in churches, but in politics and in our culture in general.
1: Well, you know, the, the 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 here's one of the challenges is one-dimensional leaders will surround themselves with one-dimensional followers. My book literally says this: womanizers hire womanizers, homosexuals hire homosexuals.
0: Mm, that's right.
1: I was on a job interview once, and the the boss said to me, "Isn't my the guy interviewing me?" He says, "Isn't my secretary hot?" Wow. And I just said, I'm sorry, sir, I'm not noticing those types of things, and I don't do that on the workplace. Mm. And he I, he was sizing me up. He wanted to know, am I going to be the kind of guy that he can hang around with and do what he wants to do? And, and, and then yeah. the answer was no. So I I knew by the end of the interview, I'm not getting this job. He said a couple other things that were indications to me. This guy wants to, you know, he wants to use his position and to to do certain things, and I'm just not going to do them with him. And right. I let him know right up front. I also was on a job and inter- I actually was on a job interview. Oh, no, I take that back. I, I got hired and my first meeting was um, a director. The director told me about having an affair. So, well, it was a time when I was separated from my spouse. This happened to be a female telling me this too. Really? And I was separated from my husband. And, I, and she told me whose girlfriend she was. And she was a, a prominent gro- the girlfriend of a prominent politician. That's how she probably got a job. It was probably a power thing, but I, I just blurted out with just. Spontaneously, I said, "Ma'am, I don't go for this boy, girl, he shed, she shed, kiss and tell stuff mm-hmm. in the workplace. It has no, it has no, uh, it has no place in my frame of reference. I don't even want to know about it.
0: That's good. And I, I, I blurted
1: it out so quickly. I almost put my hands over my mouth and thought, oh my gosh, this is my boss. You idiot. You're going to get, you're, you're going to get <laughs> blacklisted before you have a chance to even make an impact. <laughs> and, and, and so. Yeah, you're right. That the one dimensional leaders use their position to get what they want to do from the system. One dimensional leaders and one dimensional employees, they leverage relationships to get what they want from organizations.
0: You were listening I'm, to uh I just want to give a little intro here, how uh, halfway through the show. You're listening to Camp Constitution Radio on WBCQ the Planet, Camp Constitution. Dot net for those of you who like more information about uh, our not only our program, but our wonderful uh, week-long family camp that takes place this year from July 12th to the 19th in uh, the Tolanipi Christian Retreat Center in Orange, New Hampshire. That's campconstitution.net. Go ahead, Earl. Sorry.
1: No, that's great. The um, It's important for people to know about this camp because if you um, have a high school student or a younger out there and you you see our country going off the rails, it's because... Uh, we're no, our students are no longer learning in in public school. Anyway, they're not learning what our constitution is about. And I hope how we get a chance today, but I want to talk about something that I've I've discovered. I think, which is the foundation of why our churches are not effective culturally. And, but we'll talk about that later back to leadership, um, two-dimensional leaders needlessly set up us versus them dynamics. They, instead of saying, Hey, we're all in this together and let's all stay focused on the mission. Two-dimensional leaders have character and personality flaws, so they, too, are focused on what's in it for me, and they con- and consequently, they always, they always set up me-versus-you dynamics, us-versus-them dynamics, and they fracture a team. Fracture teams, this us-versus-them dynamic, this me-versus-you dynamic is really how silos form within organizations. Instead of I've been in meetings with uh, commissioners and other people, I work in government, and I would say to them, you know, we need to stop whispering about these things. If we're whispering about this particular topic, we're talking about something that we shouldn't even be talking about as public officials, because we're public. We should not be in a position where we're going to have to hide things from the public. Right. And uh, so you needlessly set up these. And look at what's going on in our country. We have... um, Instead of having the representative three branches of government that we have, or the three brand, the three divisions of government, we have a Congress that will not hold the president accountable to his constitutional obligations. We have a Supreme Court that no longer um, looks at uh, laws passed by the Congress or executive orders foisted on us by a president. They don't look at those under the, uh, under the light of the Constitution. Instead, the Supreme Court's just saying well, I wonder how we can make this. How we, how can we wrangle terminology to make whatever the government does legal? And here's one of the things I I, I want to teach this year at at Camp Constitution. You know our our um our constitution has it, it it has enumerated powers. It lists the powers. It lists the things that government can and cannot do. Whenever government by, uh, varies or um, does something that's not on that list. That's when they're violating our rights,
0: and that's quite quite often. I mean, we we got a number of constitutional scholars have said, uh, and you don't have to be a scholar to observe this. Uh, but about eighty percent of what the federal government does is unconstitutional, and probably that same percentage at the state level too. And if you and how many people we know that live in towns and cities, and they'll say, "Gee, my town is the most corrupt town," and uh, no matter where you, I get this, no matter where I go. And the sad thing is, um, um, I was quoting President James Garfield, and I, I was actually looking for the quote here, but he said, it, to, to, you know, to, sort of a to paraphrase, he said, if our Congress is corrupt, it's because the people accept corruption. If our Congress is honorable, it's because the people it, want honorable people representing them. So uh, all these smoke and mirror plans to s- save our Constitution by adding a bunch of amendments, or what have you, won't change. The, if people want corruption, they're going to get it. And right now, unfortunately, a disproportionate number of our the population, over 51%, seems to like big government. They seem to like uh, members of Congress doing the wrong thing because they're somehow benefiting. In other words, well, gee, I don't really like this issue, but if I'm voting for my guy or my lady because they're giving me the goodies too, you know. And that seemed to be uh, the problem. Um, we have very few three-dimensional leaders. Why don't you explain uh,
1: what exactly is a three-dimensional leader? Well, in the book of Judges, uh, there are several three-dimensional leaders. But I like to use Deborah for, for because a three-dimensional leader understands his or her role and really tries to empower other people to fulfill their role. And the reason uh, we focus, I focus on Deborah in my three-dimensional leadership book which is a business book but it does have this chapter three this template from the book of judges uh which we expand upon throughout the book uh and uh, what happens is a a three-dimensional leader is supposed to know what the mission that matters most and in the old testament israel it was we've got to secure our land we've got to have peace in our land we have to otherwise people can't shop they can't go to work you can't actuate your life if you're worried about terrorists blowing up your marketplace and your and your office and your your business sectors. So um, Deborah understands this. She is not a warrior, but she understands resources. Remember, the book is subtitled "Mission Resources and Context." Barack. She knows that I need to, I need a resource called the military. So she calls a gentleman named Barack, who God has spoken to her and said, "This man is going to be the general." And Barack. And I'm sorry. What's his name? Bar- uh, Oh boy, Deborah and Book of Judges, chapter five. <laughs> What's that guy's name? That's uh, alright, that's all right. <laughs> and uh so he is um he is going to be the um he is going to be the general. And he says, I'm not gonna go unless you go with me. And I've heard a lot of people, you know, denigrate that guy. And I thought, no, you know, he um, Barack is his name, Barack. And uh, he, if if you if you Hal, if you told me that God told you that I'm supposed to go punch somebody in the nose, and you're not going to come with me, what would my confidence be that God really told you? So Deborah says, that's fine, I'll come with you. Deborah knows that there's more than one way to accomplish something. She does not needlessly lock herself into either-or thinking either or dynamic, Mm -hmm. me versus you dynamic. She says, okay, we'll do it your way. And I teach in my leadership programs, your people probably have a lot of good ideas, especially once you've um, acclimated them and trained them to the mission that matters most and you give them some of these other um, uh, abilities that are listed in my book and explained in the book, how you get people to, to think as team members, how you get people to understand that um, they're uh, about 80%. Once, we're all have, once we all have the same value system and the same motivations, we're each going to probably get about 80% of what we want because we approach the same challenge from our own varying, per, from different perspectives. So the book talks about how do you get synergy from the diversity of personality types and uh, psychological perspectives that the Lord is bringing to your table, bringing to your team. And synergy means that the output is greater than the sum of the individual parts. One dimensional leaders will never let you do what they don't know. Two dimensional leaders, will they, they understand mission and they understand resources to a degree, but they don't understand context. So there's always a, a big picture of view of things that they're missing. Consequently, they may only let you do, let an organization move into two 2 thirds of the things that it really should be engaged in because they they won't fully trust their people because they have this huge blind spot called they can't see the, the, the larger context in which the business or the um, operation is unfolding within. They don't see the operation within its context. They don't understand how um, partners operate. They don't understand how um, the community may choose to access the resources and where your store is located. Two dimensional have a number, they have a, they have a big blind spot called context, but it, it affects a lot of things. So anyway, I think first- you summed
0: it up by saying the team is uh, a, the team is first and foremost, not the mission. With a second, two-dimensional leader.
1: Yes, that's right. Two-dimensional—they do things based upon who they know, not necessarily what those people know. Three-dimensional leaders—I'm focused on what you need to know to do your job. And, and, we, and I used to have people call me up and they would say, "Mr. Wallace, I want to be on your team. I'll be loyal to you." I said, "Being loyal to me is is, is okay. I'm not backstabbers, but being right, loyal right. to me is not a mission. Right. Our mission is the mission. Well, the reason our organization exists is our mission. The reason we've been hired is the mission. I may stray from that, and I need people around me who will not be yes people. But will you who be you need no men, men
0: as well as you. You know, you need no men when you get off uh, when and that happens to the best of people.
1: Absolutely, we are all woefully human, and that's our challenge. That's right.
0: That's right. That's right. So, I mean, it's yes, men usually your worst enemy because you might be you you may come up with a decision that could be very destructive to the to your your mission to your company, and uh, you want you want no men around. I mean, I I see that in different organizations. You know, come on, this is not a good idea, and. and let's let's talk let's oh no 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 this is this is what the boss says we got to go for it you know the, you want to agree with the boss because the boss is the one that dispenses the the, the pay raises and all of the uh, benefits go along with agreeing with the boss but sometimes uh, when you look back up, they say thank you for you know for your your advice because with that we would be in big trouble hey Earl, we have only a few minutes left here we got about 5 minutes left so um you were discussing something that you had in mind at camp this year. Now Earl has been an instructor at our camp and he's a very popular instructor. He gives a very dynamic present one of them is what the um the biblical basis for the Bill of Rights, uh and then the dynamic decalogue for di- decency. How
1: does that go? Okay, well the the, the first there are four presentations yeah. uh, which are gonna be four parts of a book. Hal, I told someone last week I I I, I wasn't gonna do any more radio shows until I got this book written. I told okay. someone a couple days ago, I said, I may not even teach at Camp Constitution if I don't get this book written. And I told oh. someone this morning, well, I'm doing a radio program for Camp Constitution, so I guess I'm coming up with it. So, but um, the, the, first, the first part of, this, um, of my focus or my program is called the Divine Decalogue for Dynamic Decency. Divine, it comes from God. A Decalogue is a compilation of ten, it's the Ten Commandments. And I put, so I put the Ten Commandments in positive paraphrases. I believe God gave them to me that way because people don't want to really relate to the, people don't really relate to the thou shalt not. But if we explain the Ten Commandments in positive paraphrases such as commandment number six, thou shalt not murder, really is mercy mitigates murder. Mm-hmm. Commandment number seven um, uh, about sexual purity really is if you date right, you mate right. You mate right. You date wrong, it's going to be wrong. Commandment number eight, you're not stealing. You're ripping both yourself and the other person out of God's plan for both your material blessings. So we take these Ten Commandments, and then we move into something called the biblical basis of the Bill of Rights. Once you understand the positive values, the positive outcomes of the Ten Commandments in in terms of societal living, I explain how that was the Founding Fathers' value system with which they codified in the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights are the enumerated... Powers that um, that our founding fathers said, government, thou shalt not do these things. The Bill of Rights could have right. been named the Ten Commandments to government. Oh, the, the Thou shalt nots of government, because it really it restricted uh,
0: what Congress uh, couldn't do. It didn't. It didn't uh, say uh, you, you know people talk about uh, I have a I have a, a, a First Amendment right or this. And said no,
1: you have a right protected by the First Amendment, but the right comes from God, not from government. Absolutely. And so if we think of the Ten Commandments along those same lines, God enumerated our rights in the Ten Commandments. You have a right not to be murdered. You have a right not to be stolen from. You have the right not to have the sanctity of your family va- violated. Like, you have the right not to be stolen from. So when the government says, I'm going to... have the right to pro- your
0: own property.
1: Yes. The, uh, actually, if we think about it this way, the rights, the natural rights that God gives us in the Ten Commandments, they are summed up, and you have the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, and property. And I'm going to teach it that way at, at camp this summer, put a little different spin on how I've been uh, sharing it with people.
0: Now, hey, one Earl, we get one, We got one minute left, so we got to wrap it up. Um, how can people get a hold of your book, get a hold of you, if they want uh, maybe uh, to have you give a presentation?
1: Um,
0: well, if you go to
1: www.3.com, you have to write out the word three dimensional leader.com or 3dmrc.com and okay. um, you can you can reach me on my website the book is available on amazon.com or you can go to Tate publishing and enterprises you also can buy it off my website uh, i would appreciate okay. that and i do business consulting we do leadership and organizational training as you know around the world um, and uh, I also do – I'm very focused on the church because it, it, the church is the found, foundation of, of the liberties in America, not the church itself, but the Bible is. So the founding fathers right. wanted people to go to church because that's where you learn about the, found, the biblical basis of the Bill of Rights.
0: That's right. Well,
1: we thank you for having you on. This is Hal Sherlitz with Camp Constitution Radio
0: on WBCQ, The Planet. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.